Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. This week on the show, Joe Klatt from Fox Sports joins us. He has a new podcast out, The Joe Klatt Show. First episode's out this week. Sits down with Coach Prime, Deion Sanders from CU. We'll ask the former quarterback from Colorado, Joe Klatt, what he thinks about the major makeover that Deion Sanders is doing with his alma mater. The Big Ten's new schedule compared to the SEC's decision to stick with eight conference games. I'll throw that one at Joel. He has some interesting thoughts on the way college football could be scheduled uh, in a better and more interesting way on a national level. And I'll ask him about what Caleb Williams can do to win another Heisman Trophy. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, please give us a good rating and review. It helps college football fans find us and helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me on the show this week is the great Joel Klatt from Fox Sports. Joel, thank you so much. And Joel's got a new project, too. Um, the Joel Klatt Show is a new podcast that's come out recently. Uh, first episode was with the man who's making a lot of news in college football, uh, Deion Sanders. So go check that out. And Joel, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, you bet, man. Uh, I'm excited uh, about this series. Fun and and successful year to start the podcast. And we've had this idea for, or at least I have for a long time of wanting to sit down with what I would consider kind of the most influential voices in the sport and talk about not their silo in particular, but the sport more globally. Because I think that that's what's missing, to be quite honest with with you, in terms of the the modern college football is someone really looking after the sport so wanted to have these conversations and and obviously with with Dion landing that job and and so much interest on him wanted to start with him with this interview and he's the only one that to be honest it it did focus a little bit more on him and his program versus the sport you know overall or globally but we certainly got to those topics and it's been a really fun uh, a fun series to record. Well, and so I've always felt like you've got a really good mind, mindset and, and view of the big picture. And, and we've talked about this, the idea that nobody's really watching the whole shop, right? Like, and it's one of the problems yeah. with college football. However, listen, we've also talked a lot about Coach Prime this offseason. And, you know, I was hesitant to sort of like dive into it again, but I have to because A, you talk to women, B, you had the one-on-one with him. You're a CU guy. So I'm also interested in not just your you know, your experience sitting down one-on-one and what he said to you, but also like how you've experienced the Dion phenomena through all the excitement, um, the unprecedented way he has built this roster. Um, you know, so let's start with that. Like as you've watched this again, unprecedented rebuild happened. What have your thoughts been? Uh, and, and let's tap into your CU pride here. Well, it's a great question. And it's, it's to be honest, there's, it's a long answer. Okay. Uh, that's okay. We got time. <laughs> first, first off, um, just from a Colorado perspective, Colorado was the worst team in the power five. Mm-hmm. They've had one winning season in 20 years. And they needed 
like they needed their next breath of air to be relevant somehow because they were completely irrelevant. And, you know, um, hiring a guy like, like coach prime, like Dion immediately makes you relevant. A couple of other things. Um, I do believe that it is difficult to recruit without a natural recruiting base. It makes sustained success difficult. Um, and so I believe that Colorado needed somebody that could be his own gravitational pull in terms of a recruiting uh, footprint. Mm -hmm. and, and Dion is certainly that. So not only does he make you relevant in college football where people want to cover him and, and talk about him and, and talk about the program and wonder about Colorado, but he's also his own gravitational pull. And you could argue creates his own recruiting base, which is, it's not a geographical recruiting base. It's a Dion recruiting base. Kids still know obviously and, and understand what he can provide in terms of exposure, his ability as a player. And that is allowing Colorado to um, pull kids from all over the country on visits and they're, batting a pretty good batting, you know, average in terms of landing those kids once they're on campus, very similar to the same mindset that Bill McCartney had in the mid eighties when he was recruiting. And he constantly would say, all I need to do is get a kid on campus. Now he was obviously dynamic in the room as a recruiter, as is Dion. And Dion understands that Boulder is a bit of a hidden gym. Uh, I mean, Ralph, I believe you've been there. Obviously, I love the place. Yeah, um, I lived in Colorado. Place. Yeah, I mean, Boulder is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It's and, one of the best best places in the country. That, like, you there, and they're going to look around and be like, "My goodness, this is this is fantastic." So, you know, all of those things are are in play. Now, the the last thing I would say is, and this is is one of the things I had a question about when I first heard the news was just. Okay, well, what's a staff going to look like? I'm not new to this game. I cover this sport, you know, for a living. And I know that the best programs have the best coaching staffs. The coaching staffs are really the ones that are recruiting. And, and so I was interested to see not only the school's commitment to, to paying a coaching staff, number one, but also his ability to recruit a staff. And he's done that. Um, and I think that he's got a really good coaching staff. And so then it comes down to a formula that is tried and true. And he even touched on it in the interview. So when you go listen to the interview, the conversation, I guess I should say, he touched on the fact that it's extremely rare or almost never happens where a team has a great coaching staff and good talent and doesn't succeed on the field. They're putting together quality talent. They've put together a quality staff. And now we just have to wait and see to see what that, you know, comes to fruition with in terms of the performance on the field. Did you have any problem with the way he went about his business as far as having so many kids end up in the portal and clearly a lot of them, you know, sort of pushed into it? Well, the short answer would be no. Um, the longer answer would would be that when you are given freedom, you know, sometimes that comes at a cost and the players enjoy more autonomy and freedom now, whether it's monetarily, uh, 
and or um, where they want to play than they ever have before in the history of college football. Now, because of that, a new coach can come in and has an unlimited of new spots or, you know, recruits that they can sign like new mm -hmm. scholarships. And that's a trade-off. And, and I, I, so I, I don't, it's within the rules, right? I, other coaches have done this, maybe not to this degree. Almost every coach that goes into a program while his first speech might not be plastered on social media, he says a form of what Dion said. And this is where I have a problem with the other coaches around the country is that I know for a fact those speeches, maybe not with the exact same terminology with his luggage and Louie, but those <laughs> same speeches are given all the time with new coaches and players from the old regime all the time are, quote, pushed in a direction. I think what happens is that a coach has to set a standard. And with Colorado, the standard was so low, they were so bad, that any standard was going to weed out a large number of players, whether that was a performance or behavioral or, or whatever you want to call it, that they had within, within the program. And, and that's the only way to build a culture is to set a standard and then rigidly adhere to that standard. So the short answer is no, I didn't have a problem with it. And this is what's going to happen. If, if players want to be able to move and leave whenever they want, if they want total freedom in terms of their NIL and, and what they're doing monetarily, then it comes at a cost. And that cost is that first year coaches are going to have the ability to come in and have unlimited first uh, first time scholarships. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Joel. I think the big difference, as you said, is uh, in Dion's case, it's all it's all televised, so to speak. It's all streamed. It's all out there. And what he's doing is maybe extreme in terms of you know the amount that it's happening, but it happens everywhere. Let me ask you the last one on on Colorado. Do you think it could work on the field? Because you know, there's a lot of new players here. There's definitely an upgraded team from what it was last year, which was, as you put it, the worst power five team in the country. Um, but they also have a really tough schedule. Big noon yeah. will be at their first two games. How, how much can you expect as far as success on the field with this mix? Well, I, I'm not dodging here, but I don't think you can answer that without a time frame. If you ask me like, are they going to beat TCU? I, I don't know. I mean, that's, they're going to, they should, they will and should be an underdog in that game. Uh, is it going to work week two against Nebraska? I don't know. I don't know what Matt's bringing back, you know, in terms of what that program's going to look like at Nebraska. But if you ask me in a more general sense, is this going to work at Colorado? My answer is unequivocally yes. Of course it's going to work. Look at the level of player that's coming into Colorado. Recruiting is the lifeblood of any program. And you don't win without players. And they're getting better players than they've gotten in well over two decades. And I, I don't see a scenario in which this does not translate into more wins. The other question you have to ask yourself is one timing and then two at what level? You know, are they going to win a national championship? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Boy, we don't see many national championships outside of the South. Right. 
Um, you know, I mean, just ask the teams in the Big Ten. Ohio State's even had a trouble uh, winning a, a national championship. Michigan can't get past the first round in the playoffs. It's been non-existent on the West Coast since Pete Carroll left USC. So, you know, if you tell me like, well, he has to win the national championship to be successful at Colorado, that's a that's a really tall task. I'm not sure. Hopefully, I'm I'm still an you know alum. I hope it still wins. So I see. I think that some of those um, questions have to be categorized as as timing and level. At some point, it's going to work. At what level? I'm not quite sure, but it will certainly be at a higher level than what they have been for the last two decades. Okay, so let we'll move on from uh, CU, but there's a lot going on there. So again, I wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, last week. Uh, well, a couple of interesting things have happened schedule-wise in the last couple of weeks. I thought the Big Ten hit it out of the park, frankly, yeah. with, with what they did. And I thought the SEC kind of disappointed us a little bit. Though I think eventually yeah. the SEC will get there with nine games, but it's going to take a, at least an extra year to get there. So I, I want to throw those two things together, maybe just get your thoughts on each. Um, but let's start with with the Big Ten because that's a conference. Well, I mean, as long as you're still here in 2024, I hope you don't leave us for the NFL, Joel. We really like having you around college football. But I wonder if uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on what the Big Ten did with it, with its schedule, only protecting the rivalries that really needed to be protected yeah okay um lots to get into one not going to the nfl two (laughs) is um let's start with a premise right so you kind of have to have first principles um first principles would be i believe that every team in the country should play the same schedule makeup okay i believe that it's absurd that we pay, play such different schedule makeups, okay? So let's start with that as that is a first principle for me. Um, I believe it's absurd that we operate in such silos that we have different schedule makeups. Like, And then we're trying to crown the national champion as if we're all playing the same sport. And it's, it's just different. So I, I start with that. Keep in mind, I did not say has to be nine, has to be eight. So... To be honest with you, I don't care which one it is as long as everyone's doing it the same way. Um, now, that's that question is now put aside. Now let's talk about what do you prefer? Okay, so now if, what do you prefer? I think that the Big Ten did a, did a heck of a job because the less games that you protect in terms of just full quantity – then the more you can drive parity within your conference. I think that's going to be very important when we move into the 12-team playoff. And so just protecting the few valuable games and the few games that your fan base in particular really cares about, the better. Because you're retaining what is traditional and special about the college football experience, in particular for individual fan bases, and yet you're moving towards a dynamic model in which you can drive some parity within your conference and then hopefully the country. Because the fact remains is, is that I think that conferences should move towards models in which you're not trying to reach a destination in which you only have one undefeated football team. Mm. That's the model that was you know, a BCS model or now a four-team playoff model because it's all about just getting into that you know, um, um, exclusive level or club to get to that point. Now, I believe that it's much more advantageous for conferences to have 
four or five really good teams. So driving some parity, in particular for those teams that would normally be the three, four, fifth finisher in your conference, I think is actually really important. And the way that you do that is that you start to balance the schedule a little bit. And once you balance the schedule, then you can bring in what the other most important topic would be, which is have the best two teams play in the conference championship game. Not only does it increase that game's value, but you get a really secure champion with three or four really good teams behind it. Uh, so all of that being said, I believe that the Big Ten schedule is is really smart. I like what they did. I think that they retained the past really well and what's great about college football while also moving into a situation where they can be progressive and innovative with their schedule, drive parity within the conference, drive value for the television partners, which is going to be imp- important with three networks. And what the SEC has done is is a bit of putting their hand, head in the sand. And um, I, I don't like that. But let's start. Let's go back. I'm going to go all the way back to first principles. Everyone should play the same schedule makeup. The fact that that we don't is absurd. So let me push you here. So with schedule makeup, because I'm kind of with you, like as long as you, like you can play eight conference games, but I would kind of like you to get to maybe 10 power five games and how you get there, it could be eight or nine. I would like to see November kept a little more sacred. So if you listen, a lot of teams play yeah, FCS schools and things like that. I would go a step, further. Would go a like step further than, than you, Ralph. Mm-hmm. I believe that we should be playing 11 power five games, nine of them in conference, two of them out of conference. We okay. need to drive more power five non-conference games. We should only be playing lower level teams once. Um, and I don't believe that any of those should ever be an FCS opponent. FCS opponents are absurd. Um, and I think that I mean, if if you're asking me, I would say all non-league games postseason or regular season would be pulled out of the bucket, um, stripped away from the conferences. And I'm sure my network wouldn't want me to say this, but (laughs) you should strip out every non-league game in college football and the playoff should sell it. That's a way to drive more revenue distribution in an equal way throughout the country versus allowing these silos. I like that idea, Joel. Then also what you can do is you can build – um, schedules that would drive parity through a national lens by saying, hey, if you finish in the top three in your conference, well, we're going to schedule your non-league games next year. Your scheduling partner is going to be Big Ten, Pac- whatever it is, and you have to play a team from that top tier next year. You're going to play one on the road and one at home. And and then we're getting the best teams playing each other, which is going to drive revenue because valuable inventory is always going to drive revenue. You're going to distribute that equally across the country. You're going to get better matchups for your fans in campus stadiums versus in neutral sites. Um, and and everyone will play a very similar schedule. I like that idea a lot. Again, I don't, you're right. I don't know if your bosses will like that idea, but I like that idea a lot. Cause again, we're just trying to create a more national sport here. And I've always thought that if these conferences, instead of constantly pushing back against one another, might consider banding together a little more, it would be better off for the sport. Okay, I got one more for you, Joel, because I know you got to run. Yeah. Um, Caleb Williams was incredible last year, deserving Heisman winner. We haven't had a two, we've only had one two time Heisman winner. It's been almost 50 years since, I think about 50 years since Archie Griffin did that for Ohio State. 
Um, I'm of the opinion that like once you've won a Heisman, you've almost set the bar incredibly high. So I don't know if we'll ever see a repeat Heisman winner. Do you think there's a path here for Caleb to win the Heisman again? Um, there's a path, but it's narrow. Um, the problem with his path is that it's not necessarily up to him. Now, it is up to him in that he can't really have numbers that are less than what he produced a year ago. We will expect growth, and we will expect as a voting block him to be a better player that should translate into numbers. His Expect them to be a little bit better. Now, the path becomes more narrowed because of our bias as a voting block, um, not necessarily his ability as a player. Um, our culture, and I think that it, it resonates within the voting block, um, loves to tear down tens. You know, you've heard this analogy before. If you're a 10, people want to tear you down to a six. If you're a four, everyone wants to build you up to a six. We love underdogs. We hate favorites. Um, so because of that, when you have the bullseye on your back, even if you're not a, an incumbent Heisman winner, even the guy that starts the year with the highest odds or the best odds, it's always tough for him to win the Heisman trophy because he's got the bullseye on his back. Everyone's looking for a reason not to give him the Heisman Trophy versus reasons to give him the Heisman Trophy. It's the reason Andrew Luck never won. Mm -hmm. It's the reason RG3, for some reason, on a three-loss team, won the Heisman Trophy over Andrew Luck, which is, you know, insane. Um, to be, I mean, quite honest, this is nothing against RG, but you see what I'm saying. It's like at, at some point in some of these years, the favorite will lose one game, play one game, one quarter, one throw that people didn't like, and then they would scour the earth for like, well, who else are we going to vote for? Wow, we love that, you know, Friday night performance from that guy. Let's, let's give it to him. So that's why it's tough from the favorite position. That's why it's tough from an incumbent position. Um, that's why his path is incredibly narrow. A couple of things that need to happen. His defense needs to get much better because the team needs to be better. And then two is that his numbers have to be better than what they were a year ago. Uh, but one thing I know about Lincoln Riley's offense is that the quarterback is always going to be at the forefront. They're always going to be in the center of that, producing at a high level. And his skill set is is one that I do believe we haven't seen in a long time. He is a more refined version of a college player than Patrick Mahomes was. And obviously, Pat's the best player on the planet. So um, high praise. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch Caleb go for it. I agree. I think in many ways, USC needs to be better, not necessarily Caleb. Joe Klatt is the voice of Big Noon, Fox Sports. You can hear the Joel Klatt Show, Big Noon Conversations, the first one out this week with Coach Prime. Uh, who else you got coming up? So next week we'll be dropping our episode with Nick Saban. Great conversation with Coach Saban. Obviously appreciate him taking the time. Um, we got into more global issues with Coach Saban, mm -hmm. as you can expect. He loves talking about that, that um, including a really great answer about what we first talked about in terms of, you know, players having a lot of freedom. Well, yeah. what are we expecting then from the players? And something needs to be given back on their end. So that was a fascinating answer. We'll have Greg Sankey, commissioner of the SEC. Uh, we'll have Chip Kelly, Ryan Day, uh, as well as um, just scheduling up with Brett Yormark and Tony Petiti. So, some heavyweights coming up, and they'll drop every Monday throughout the summer. Sounds great. Joel, enjoy your summer. Looking forward to hearing you and to watching you and Gus on Big Noon. Thanks so much for doing this today. You bet. Thanks, Ralph. And now, three and out. First down.
Notre Dame, in a very efficient fashion, announced last week that Jack Swarbrick was stepping down as athletic director next year and his replacement would be Pete Bevilacqua, the chairman of NBC Sports and a Notre Dame alum. The tenure of an AD can be hard to assess sometimes. Generally, their fortunes are tied to the football program, especially at a place like Notre Dame. Well, Notre Dame football got healthy under Jack Swarbrick's watch after he hired Brian Kelly. Without question, Swarbrick was an influential and powerful AD, one of the creators of the 12-team playoff format that starts in 2024. As for Bevilacqua, his hire sends a pretty strong signal that Notre Dame and NBC will continue a partnership going forward. It's pretty simple, really. If if NBC can provide a TV deal that puts Notre Dame in a comfortable place financially compared to the Big Ten and the SEC, the Irish will remain an independent. If the gap grows too big, that the Irish feel the Big Ten and SEC schools are no longer their football peers, then Notre Dame will have to seriously consider joining a conference. There are other factors involved here and predicting the future of both college sports and the media is fraught with peril these days. But it would seem to me that this move increases the likelihood that Notre Dame remains an independent in football through at least its next TV contract, which will likely run through the end of the decade. Second down, Tyler Shuck is back for another season as Texas Tech starting quarterback. Shuck has been around a while starting his career at Oregon with a fair amount of hype. In Lubbock, the Red Raiders are 8-0 when Shuck starts over the last two seasons, but injuries have limited him to only eight starts. Last week, I reached out to friends of the show, Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel, and asked them, who do they think is this year's Max Dugan? A veteran quarterback who has shown flashes of talent, but not much consistently and or health. A couple of hours later, Tech coach Joey McGuire made the announcement about Chuck, and I was thinking, wow, that might be the answer to my question. I'm not going to predict a playoff run for the Red Raiders, though they are a bit of a trendy pick to reach the Big 12 championship game this year. But I could see Chuck putting it all together and ending up kind of a fringe Heisman Trophy candidate and maybe even Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year, breaking out the way Dugan did for the Frogs in 2022. Third down, as I was doing some reading up on the upcoming season, trying to get prepared, downloading a whole bunch of information on over 130 uh, FBS teams, I was reminded that Rich Rodriguez is back in major college football this year as Jacksonville State's head coach. The Gamecocks are moving up to FBS and joining the reconfigured Conference USA. And of course, JSU's position to have a pretty good running game with a nice set of running backs, typical for a Rich Rod team. The Gamecocks are breaking in a new quarterback, so we'll see how that goes. The defense was bad last year and will likely still be bad moving up in a level of competition, so don't expect miracles of year one. Rich Rod has had a wild career, going back from his time as an NAIA offensive innovator with up-tempo offense and I wouldn't say necessarily inventing the zone read, but he is certainly one of the godfathers of it. Uh, To within a victory of playing for a national title at West Virginia, to being an all-time bad fit at Michigan, 
He rose again and then crashed again at Arizona. Now he's back in the big time, sort of. Rich Rod and his teams are usually pretty entertaining, so welcome back to FBS. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. Please follow so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.